sense of belonging is is sort of the antithesis of what condition you were in, which was isolation. Yeah? So you know from the sense of belonging, you get a realization how isolated you were. While you're really isolated, you may really think you know, but you really don't know it until you're free from it. Yeah? So, And it's incredible how all the relief from the disease of alcoholism yeah, really gives you a very strong understanding of the symptoms of alcoholism. When you get really relieved from them, you get a real good understanding of them. So, like, I've obviously terminal uniqueness and and isolation is a main thrust of uh, alcoholism gone wild. You're going to end up feeling that no one understands. You're so unique and special, and no one's ever done what you've done or thought what you thought. And it's just just a crock, really. But you're living in that, and it keeps you immune to ever hearing anything else from anyone else. You, know, you can't seem to learn anything because they don't understand. Yeah? So a sense of belonging is like when that shell gets broken, then you feel a sense of belonging with the group. So everything, but you then, from there, just like when I, the first meeting I went to, I felt a little hope. Yeah? It allowed me to feel how hopeless I'd been for the last 10 months because I had been in a program and left and was on a 10-month run. You know, Ended up at a Salvation Army men's meeting. And in that, I felt I, was, I felt some hope, and therefore my mind allowed the hopelessness to be really sensed. That's what it is. That's exactly what it's like. You'll know the problem from the solution. That's really how you know it. You can't know it. You can know its effects, but you'll still be suffering from them. That's not knowing it. That's like self-knowledge, yeah? Self-knowledge avails us nothing. It doesn't lead you to the freedom from self. You just know the bondage a little better, which actually makes it more painful in a way. I mean, in a sense, in that level, ignorance is bliss. You just, I'd rather not fucking have this information. Just like when people uh, go back and drink, they have a head full of AA and a stomach full of alcohol. It really sucks. It ruins every party. <laughs> because, you know, there's an understanding now. So it's much better not to have that and just go blissfully on ignorantly. And at least you'll get some sense of relief and whatever, how temporary and then huge avalanche of consequences. But you'll seem to be doing alright in a good way. But So you know the problem from the solution. Now that's just not with alcoholism. So you... What we're saying here is there's an inherent problem prior to alcoholism that everyone seems to be under, which is self-centeredness. Yeah? So self-centeredness is quite, you know, this, the statements describe it really well. Everything seems to be centered on self. Let's say everything obviously isn't on centered on self, but your, your attention and interest is centered on self. Yeah? So... I would say that self-centeredness provokes a lot of need to get relief from self-centeredness. Yeah? So the, self system, the self-centered system isn't really a benign, happy-go-lucky, very harmonious, balanced system. It tends to provoke or irritate the mind quite a, light, a, a lot into a state of agitation. And then the, the, the source of the agitation is now sought for counsel about how to get relief from the agitation. Yeah, that's the trickiness. You know, you're not going to find a solution from the problem. 
the problem is going to give you tons of solutions, but they're not going to be a solution to the problem. <laughs> they're actually going to compound the problem. Because there's nothing like a problem after you've been applied about eight solutions to it. And it's sort of like a bug that gets immune to the antibiotics. You know, the more you apply, it just gets stronger and stronger. You have to see there's a strange thing going on there. Maybe part and parcel of the strength of the bug is the application of, of the seeming solution. Yeah? Maybe it's actually feeding on the solution more than you think. Maybe the solution isn't really a solution. Maybe it's just an extension of a problem, sort of like the dualistic extension of a problem, which would be a solution. Yeah? So maybe the, the real problem is problem and solution. It's not like, this is the problem, and then there, there's a separate, totally different solution. I would say there's a system of problem-seeking, problem-solving, which has a lot of solutions, but it's actually an extended version of the problem, the real problem. Yeah. Because the real problem, in a way, I don't believe it is a real problem, but let's just use the word real, is, like it says in recovery, uh, self-reliance has failed us. That's the real problem. So if you're relying on the problem to give you a solution and you take it, that would be the problem. Yeah. If you follow the logic that self-reliance is the problem, it's a failed system, so every time I'm relying on the failed system to give me advice about the failed system is part and parcel of the failure, the living failure of the system. So self can't get out of self. Yeah? So... <laughs> <laughs> now it can be intellectually understood but you, if you ever get the flavor of it it's amazing when you really see the futility of self relying on self it's mind boggling it's mind blowing yeah? because something that was just working unimpeded very loud but it doesn't seem to be even a whisper to our attention and interest where we're under the trance of self centeredness but it's really loud and clunky when you get removed from it. <laughs> and it's failed. It's a failed system. It doesn't work. Yeah? So, uh, so the abstaining from a solution is actually the solution. Yeah. To abstain, to seek a solution, is actually the solution. Yeah. Because self can't get out of self. And so just maybe, if there was a total acceptance and a total... Uh, dropping into it, you may find that you would never end. Yeah? By totally letting it be okay, you may realize that the prison is, is self-imposed and it doesn't actually exist. Yeah? But every movement of, of, or that drive or that seeking to get out of it is how you're actually in the prison. Because there isn't one you can only appear to be in one, and how do you? And a very, very hidden strain of appearing to be in one is trying to get out of it. Yeah? Trying to get out of self is just another form of being in self, but it's only an appearance. There's no place. There's no prison of self that you you know that's in like Kentucky or somewhere. Yeah, or maximum security <laughs> self. You know, there isn't any place. It's an activity of mind. And part of that activity is the pursuit to, to get relief or to get out of it. Yeah? Yeah. So if you see that as a form of being in it, man, that can stop a huge 
amount of uh, activity or agitation that the mind's involved in. And when the mind starts chilling out from seeking a solution to the inherent problem, that's the, that's the solution, is when the mind chills out. Because now, it's not agitated, and it's the, it's the peace of mind which is the solution. Yeah? And the ability to enjoy the peace of mind is available, because now you're not being driven away from that goal, because once it becomes apparent it's here, another goal has to be placed for the seeking to have validity. Yeah? So, if you ever found what you were seeking for, in a very short period of time, that wouldn't be what you were seeking for. It would be changed into something else. Yeah? It's never going to be... You're never arriving. See? It, there's a promise of an arrival, but there's never an arrival. When you arrive, it, you immediately partake in another journey, because that ain't enough. It's not exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. So you're basically being driven, almost like a, a herd, yeah, enslaved to this to this seeking, this engine of seeking, because the seeking binds the mind when there's the feeling of being the seeker. Yeah. So if I see someone else seeking, there's not my I, my tons of judgments about them don't arise. But if I feel I'm seeking, tons of judgments about it arise. Yeah? Because it's not the seeking, it's the seeker. See? Seeking is fine unless I'm doing it. See, if I'm doing it, there's a lot of reasons why it's not okay. You're fine. But me, I should be way past that. Yeah? So it's not the seeking, it's the seeker. Yeah? Yeah? So, when there's something happening, the mental process... Puts, writes a little story on it, and it remembers Paul. So, when something's happening, there immediately is a vague feeling that there's someone there that it's happening to, or there's someone there that is doing it. Yeah? Now, there's no proof in that. All the proof is, is a feeling arose. Yeah? That feeling arising and being become conscious of doesn't prove that there's a feeling. It really doesn't. There's just the feeling. Yeah? The mental process takes the feeling and makes a feeling. The mental process takes the seeing of a thought and, and makes the thinker. The mental process takes an action and makes the doer. Yeah? That's what it does. It remembers. It remembers the doer. It remembers the seer. It remembers the thinker. It's all, it's totally, it's, most of it's rooted in memory. Yeah? So you are remembered. So conscious contact is is constantly claimed by the remembrance that you're the one that's doing it. You're the one who's seeing. You're the one who's feeling. You're the one who's tasting. You're the one who's touching. And so you're immediately bound to the idea of being the doer or the haver, yeah? the self, this inherent separate entity. And now you become the pseudo-one. If you want to use the term God, God is the only one, you start playing God, your mind. You become the only one. Yeah? So everything is coming out from, let's say, oneness and nothingness, comes through this camera, and then it just keeps extending, and more things happen, and more experiences, more ideas, more this, more that, millions of more people. If you look at a yard, so much stuff is growing and manifesting. Yeah? And then it comes back, and it's met, you know, the experience of that is meant, goes back to one. But along the way, it gets hijacked 
by the mental process with this pseudo one. I become the one. And instead of calling that God Yahweh, I call this God me. It's the same status. Yahweh, the God of all gods, me, the me of all yous. <laughs> There's only one me in these billions of yous. And I am different. I'm either worse or better, but it's never a homogenized all of us. There's always an exception, an exemption, because it's me. It's me. So now the mental process has, has hijacked and bastardized the idea of one, and now you are the one. You are the one. Yeah? <laughs> and I'll tell you something, your mind can't take it. For you to be the descendant of the universe, which is, I'm using a, a visual here. For you to be the center of the universe, here's the me, slowly going to the center of the universe here. For you to be that, it's way too much. You see all the mental illnesses that occur, all the neuroses, all the panic attacks, all the anxiety, all the worrying about what's not happening. All of these is a mind gone wild, it's sick. Yeah, it's taken, it's, it's usurped or claimed too much juice. Yeah, it just did. And now it's, it's suffocating under the meaning that's being distributed to everything. Everything becomes so profound because it's about you, the one. Yeah, there is a solution. It couldn't have happened. <laughs> it's an impossibility, beyond an impossibility. It could not have happened. <laughs> all there is is that. <laughs> and that is appearing as all of this. And you know what? This, there isn't a that and then more than that <laughs> called me. There's not, there's not a that and a bigger that. <laughs> there's just that and then it's appearing as all of this. Yeah. And it's witnessing itself or experiencing self and it's the awareness that we call an act that I'm doing. I'm aware. I'm conscious. But actually, consciousness is prior to that. Consciousness is what's conscious. Awareness is what's aware. It's being facilitated through this apparatus, but the apparatus is not aware. Yeah? It's not doing the awareness. Awareness is moving through. Yeah. And it's nice to remember the horse before the cart. Because if you think you're the horse and you're the cart, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you're just going to be thinking you're going everywhere, but you're not, you're not moving at all. You have no locomotion, really. <laughs> you have no real power, so to speak. But the horse, yes, then the cart can be useful. Then the cart can see very clearly its seat assignment. And let's say, basically, a lot of the seat assignments boils down to service in a lot of ways. Yeah? To be of service to the other carts. Yeah? Because there's a joy in there. Yeah? But to... When, I, when there's that recognition that this one ain't the one, yeah, what happens is all the attention that has been sort of consolidated in the me expands out and goes to the you, the body, the I, I would say the spirit, and to others. Yeah, others. Others meaning things that don't move, other things that love, other da-da-da-da. Yeah? But right now it's mostly self-centeredness is just packing in all this obsession, all this interest and attention into this one fucking idea called me and trying to keep it in there, yeah? And so the you is dying, obviously. People's livers are getting destroyed. 
They fucking have abscesses. They have so many new diseases are popping up every freaking day. Things and things. It's just more and more shits happening to more and more people. Yeah, the eye is seemingly totally forgotten. The eye or spirit. No one's even conscious. You know. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Please. So there's the eye, and it doesn't matter to the eye, but there's a part of parcel of how we're traveling. It's really nice to be associated with that eye, yeah. to allow some of it in. And then, then there's some kind of wisdom occurs through the you that will surprise you. A different kind of intelligence, not a thinking conceptual one like the mental process, but the body has an intelligence in and of itself. Sometimes it senses things and da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does a whole lot better without the me on top of it. Yeah? That's what happened. I had total, incredibly profound experiences of that when I went to Delancey Street, this drug and alcohol program. I basically surrendered what you would call my will and my life to them. They told me what to do pretty much 24-7 for two years. And you know what? I did better with them them telling me what to do than I ever did with me telling me what to do. Because they didn't see me as a me. They saw me as a fucking run-of-the-mill alcoholic addict you. (laughs) And that was a much clearer observation of this activity than my idea of it. My idea it was me. (laughs) Which made me totally blind to the condition that I was really in. Because the me had a story about the condition. But they weren't, they had, they had, they had no confusion of what I was. <laughs> they were very clear what the fuck I was up about, up about to. <laughs> so, by them directing my life, hey, I did a whole lot better in there. Yeah? As soon as I left, the me sort of took over again. And it took me ten months because I had health and I was run down into the ground once again. Because this me, I'm, Whatever you want to believe, this me is infected with a very intense parasite called alcoholism. So when this mind gets obsessed with this idea of me, it ain't just the me it's getting obsessed with. There's a huge bug coming with it called alcoholism. Yeah? And that alcoholism is going to have a lot more potency than any ideas I have about the me. <laughs> You know what I mean? And it's going to really be the, the lasting tattoo of my life, not the little henna, henna tattoos I think I'm applying, but it's going to be the lasting one. <laughs> so when I'm up the ass of self, I'm up the ass of self, and there's a nasty fucking parasite up there <laughs> that's taking my fucking life away. <laughs> you want to call it my life? Man, it is freaking nasty. I couldn't believe. Oh, man. If you've ever been taken over by it, you know, it's not a very nice, benign takeover. You know, you're in for a rough ride <laughs> if it does take you over. I mean, that... The only grace I've had in my life is I stayed alive physically to get the recovery. Because there was, it was not going to change unless something, you know, some grace appeared and then just stopped the ball game. Because the, I was ready for an extra inning game. I was already in like the 18th inning. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I had given up all hope of anything getting better, and I just wanted to stay loaded until I got arrested or jailed or, uh, I mean, institutionalized or was dead. And then, one day, just a regular day at the office, an aspect of mine just inserted itself and stopped that giant runaway train like that. 
and my life took a whole new direction. And tonight, actually, is my 24-year anniversary, tonight. For 24 years, I've been on a different track, yeah? This track has a... Uh, this track is really cool because you're not under the train on this track. You're actually riding in the train. You get to see some scenery. You know what I mean? You're not getting ground up by the train and dragged. So it's been a much nicer ride for the last 20-something years. And it keeps getting larger. And see, it's amazing because it never goes into a tunnel, this train. It just goes into larger and larger vistas. Where in self-centeredness, you're going down a very dark tunnel, and the tunnel gets smaller and smaller. This is the opposite in a way. It opens up more and more. It's like, one, in self-centeredness, the aperture of your mind goes, coo, 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 and tunnel visions. This, the aperture of your mind goes, coo, 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 and opens up this way. In self-centeredness, it opens up, it closes this way. All of this gets forgotten, and all the attention is on that. Yeah? This way, that is... Is unzoom, you zoom away from that and it opens up and you get this large vista. Yeah. It's like living in a, a, like a room with only like a small two by two inch portal or a giant picture window. It's really that simple. You are gonna, you're pointed in that direction, you're gonna look out that way. This is just provides you a picture window instead of a little fucking telescope, you know, <laughs> telescopic little hole. Yeah, so. so my opinion about the diagnosis of alcoholism is that it is truly the act of being identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And what that means, it means a lot of things, but some of the big ones is that you're the doer of the actions, that you're the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. That consciousness is an activity or a state that you can manipulate, or awareness. In other words, awareness is under your jurisdiction or domain. Yeah? And you believe this world is real and solid. Inherently, everyone has its own, everything has its own quality, and no matter how much you fuck with it, it still has that essence of quality. Yeah? That's the way it seems in self-centeredness. And then, it brand, and then time is incredibly real, yeah? We believe there was a yesterday and a tomorrow. We also believe in the reality of all these things. And we live as if that's so. Even though you could change your whole experience by just putting a different tinted pair of glasses on, which would give you an example of how fragile perception is, how it can be altered like that, but... We still just, this assumption is very strong, it keeps reinvigorating it, even against a lot of evidence that it's malarkey. It will just, will just keep living as if it's so. This is like a very strong trance, yeah? yeah? Even though you know, if time, how can something, when I'm doing something I like, time flies by, and when I'm doing something I don't like, it seems to drag. And you, you think time's like an accordion, or is it you, your mind, giving it its elasticity, you know? Or is time just fucking with you? <laughs> Let's go. You have, you're at work. <laughs> you're having a really good time. <laughs> really fast. What the hell? Fuck, I'm getting gypped here. Time is out to get me. No, you're the one. Your mind is giving it the meaning it has. You've got to, you don't have to, but why not follow it back? Do you actually think time is like an accordion and it just whimsically decides, oh, today's going to go really slow. 
you know, really terrible, who's, and is laughing somewhere, look at, fuck you. <laughs> you know? No, obviously not. Where is it coming from? Where does the idea and the experience of time come from? Is time a solid uh, presence here? That's how, the, in self-centeredness, you take it. You believe time is real, and time is imposing itself on us. Yeah? Even Father Time, we're all going to decay and die. Yeah? But is that really what we are, is what decays and dies, or is it a body that decays and dies? Yeah? Isn't there maybe something that enlivens the body that can't be seen? Yeah, you can't take an x-ray of it. Yeah? And that, in, that what enlivens the body is actually what we are instead of the body it enlivens. Yeah? But the thing is, we can entertain with that, but if you entertain with that as, a, as the self, that ain't entertaining it. <laughs> That's entertaining the self while you're entertaining that. That's what self-centeredness does. It preempts whatever you're entertaining by throwing in that you're the entertainer. Yeah? It will neuter any possibility anything could free you, in a sense, because what's looking to be freed is the activity of the bondage. So the activity of the bondage will lead you to a lot of messages that offer freedom, but you, that the one that thinks it's is searching for their freedom, can never be freed because you were never bound to it. It's an impossibility. It's very difficult to get out of something that isn't so. It is. It's, you, cannot, you cannot escape from an imaginary place. <laughs> it's just impossible. Yeah, I don't care if you have the greatest map and it's from like 2000 BC and it's the first spiritual movement in the world. It still ain't taking you out of nowhere. You can't get out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's an absolute. It's not like oh, there's a, there, you can, you really can, you can get out of it. It is really real deep down. It's sort of like Ramana Maharshi explained it once where. Who was a master from India, and he and he says, "Oh, so here's one situation: a person sitting in the auditorium watching the movie, the movie of life, and he has a very strong realization it's not real. Yeah, he sees it. Yeah, this is ridiculous. You know, how could a guy like George Bush ever get elected to the presidency if this was a real place? I mean, come on, it's like it's got to be. It's just so fucking absurd. You know, how could this possibly come to pass if there was actually truly evolution?" <laughs> so, but here you go, watching the movie, and you and you say, oh, this isn't real. But there's a feeling that you're real, watching the movie. Now, Ramana Maharshi said, all right, so here you've, you've decided to, you've recognized the circle of what's unreal, but you seem to be excluded from it. He says, you, that feeling of you, is included in it, and there's no point, I'm adding this in, that you're not going to be included. There's no point when you feel like you're Paul, that historical action figure, are you out of it? That's pure content. You're not in the context, though you are of the context. Like Jesus said, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. So you seem to be appearing in this world because there's an identification and affiliation with what's appearing in this world. But you're not of this world. Yeah? Now, the mental process claims that also, that it's not of this world, but it is of this world. It's coming from the brain, yeah? So it's not of somewhere else, but it doesn't really affiliate with the body. Yeah? 
That's why if you say, I have a body, people don't say, I'm the body often. Do they? No, they don't. The mind believes it's not the body. But it also doesn't get that it's spirit. Yeah? So it's living in its own little mental realm, and it plays God. That's what it does. It's playing God to avoid the recognition of God. Yeah? If you're busy playing God, it's very easy not to recognize God. Because playing God, you could play the act of recognizing God, but that would be you playing God about God. Yeah? So when there's a real desire to know God, really, the main emphasis is on the knower of God, not on God. Like all the great, a lot of great teachers like St. Francis and everything would say, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. So it's in forgetting you, in forgetting you, in other words, this mental presence is forgotten and and it's inherently absent and it is inherently absent. That's when you sense the presence of what we call spirit. But you don't sense the real presence of spirit when you're present. <laughs> For you to seem to really be present, it has to be seemingly absent. You can the mind can't allow it to be here because it would invalidate it being here. It would be an incredible repudiation of its whole fucking historical linear story. Yeah? If the presence showed up, if the presence really showed up you would be seen as absent in suit like in a nanosecond. So its whole drive is, hey, I'm going to play God, and then by playing God, I can avoid God in a way. Like it says in recovery, quit playing God is like the biggest requirement. It's the the biggest unspoken step. It precedes the biggest concept of AA, which is surrender to your will and your life. It says first... You gotta quit playing God, then next in this drama of life, God is gonna be the director, we're gonna be his servants and stuff like that. But first, first I would say has more importance in a sense, if you look at it in a linear way, first has more importance than next, yeah? So first, you gotta quit playing God. Now, the beautiful thing is, you can quit playing God, because that would be God, that would be what's playing God, trying to stop playing God, and we go on ad nauseum. Yeah? But if you are not that which plays God, that's it. That's quitting playing God. You are not that which is playing God. If you try to stop playing God, we've tried a number of us. It's it's more playing God than ever. You're watching every second, you know. <laughs> you're vigilant up the wazoo. You can't, you're like tight as hell. You know? But if you're not that which is playing God, that's how the quitting playing God becomes an experience. Yeah? And then what occurs is, what wasn't obvious becomes super obvious. The presence. The presence of what? Let's say awareness or consciousness. Yeah? And then it's really funny, instead of striving for that experience, you recognize you are that. So there's no striving to have an experience of it. You're now in the state of it. It's much a higher form. An experience comes and goes, yeah? And has a lot of variation. A state is much more stable, yeah? It's just like one of the big movements in recovery, one of the highest activities in recovery is when you don't die and you have to go through the process of surrender, yeah? It's a pretty high event because... Let's say self-will kicks in and you get stubborn again and defiant. And then if you, you know, life starts kicking your ass. And then if you're lucky, there's a moment of surrender. 
where you admit your powerlessness. I'm sorry, I claim God of hurt again. Please, please. Okay, you know, you're alive still. Hey, you can, you know, atone. All right, I'm not that. I'm totally powerless. Then the power comes in again, yeah? But this, you get, you don't have that experience anymore because now you're in a state of surrender. It's different. But it's much sweeter because it lasts, yeah? It's not, it's not like a, a, a relief after a big build-up to a crescendo. There's just no crescendo. It's just relief, yeah? Ongoing relief without the opposite. You don't have, you don't appreciate it by its opposite, yeah? A lot of people, whoo, oh man, it feels so much better I'm out of that, yeah? But this is, you don't get the joy of that experience, but you get the state of never being in it. Yeah, oh, I, then things start stabilizing, yeah? You're inherently free, you become like a free-range alcoholic, you know? You have a whole life, and you're doing whatever, and you have, your seat assignment has certain details that you can't break over, if you cross the line, sometimes you'll get severely, you won't, but there'll be a consequence. So you learn to live a certain way, and uh, as long as you stay that way, things are just um, keep opening up. Yeah. The opposite of this, it goes zoom. And I would say, uh, the, the sense of largeness is closer to what we are than that contracted smallness of trying to be big. You know? For you to, and I to be big as a self, everything else has to be made small, really. You live in a very small world that seems so big. This is like, you, that's relinquished and the world gets huge. You know? So if the diagnosis is correct, you should get a certain amount of relief. That's what happened with me. That's why I feel the diagnosis is verified. Because it didn't come from reading or studying, it came from the solution. And then I put the words together, and it just made sense that, oh, so it's not a just obsession with self. That's what the mind does that's identified itself. It has to keep reapplying the glue to the idea of being a self, yeah? Because its nature is so inherently different than the mental projection, yeah? So the glue has to be applied over it, so the obsession with self has a purpose to keep us bonded to the idea of being a someone, yeah? Aha! So, if I waste a lot of time working on obsessions, they just morph into other obsessions, as you know. You, know? <laughs> you give up one, and then suddenly you have an intriguing desire to look at porno, or something comes up. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on and on, you know? <laughs> but if you looked at maybe, if, hey, I'm not that, I'm not the one who gets obsessed, and I'm not the one who really wants to get out of being obsessed, then maybe you'd get a really different kind of attitude and outlook in life. Yeah? You'd know a new freedom and a new happiness. You'd comprehend the word serenity and you will know peace. Yeah? They won't just be words that have been formulated into a mental concept, but they'll have weight. Yeah? They'll have substance in your life. You'll, you'll, you'll have a sound mind, which is what sober, sober means, a sound mind. The mind will be sound. sense nothing. A lot, really. You know, you can sense the presence of what's not being seen. Yeah? You can sense when a note is played, you sense the silence around it. 
It's much louder than the note, really. We're attuned just to listen to the note, but the silence is a lot louder than the note. Yeah? And the nothingness is a lot more substantial than the somethingness, really. Yeah? It's because in nothing, the gaze can be eternal, in a way, because you're never going to run into anything. So when you're seeing nothing, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And you've got tons of attention to deal with what you're seeing, perceiving to be something. But seeing nothing is like a lifelong uh, activity. It just goes on and on and on. And it's never not going to be here. It's always available at all times. With no, necess- no requirement necessary. It's not something that can be conjured up, and it's not, no, not something that can be shooed away. It's context. Yet, while we're in the content, there's an aspect of us that is of the context. It may maybe have a quiet tune, but if you follow it, a couple of notes, your attention and interest will leave just all the thingness, and a lot of it will go to no thingness. And I would say that's what really enriches things. The sense of no thingness really paints another whole different colors on all the things. Yeah? Just like after talks, one of the obvious results of the talks for me is all my senses get heightened. When I go eat, food is unbelievable how much it tastes. Yeah? But that, that flavor is coming from nothingness. And it's like a, it's like a, a, a spice you can put on, it's putting on everything. What you hear, what you see, how you feel, everything is enhanced by nothingness, by the influence of nothingness. Yeah? Instead of trying to get more something and add something to another something, with hopefully nothing is really an incredible addition. And the mind is attuned actually to nothingness because it's of nothingness. You, know, you can't see the mind. You can't see consciousness or awareness. You can't see interest. You can't see attention. They're all of nothingness. Yeah? And it's like it's like them they're finally going home and it's a great relief. And you don't have to force them to go there. It rests wherever it is because what it's aware of is everywhere. Yeah? So it doesn't need to go to a special place to rest in the attention. It's in the act of it being attentive, that's the rest. Everything is is infused with nothingness. And it produces a traveling lighter that you can never have done by any self-centered activities. Or you would have. But unless the mind knows or gets a flavor of it, it can't entertain it. We have no fucking idea about a lot of things here. We have tons of ideas about them, but we don't really, we're not grounded in no real knowledge. Yeah? But f- we're leaving the idea of knowing something and getting to the point, like in Zen, they have a, a very good statement about a very high level mind, which is, I don't know. In that, I don't know, now you're open to find out. And finding out is much more convincing than knowing up here. It can can turn into a convinced uh, activity, which means a belief with certainty, very sound, very rooted, and it doesn't get moved by the passings of situations and circumstances. It's like unwavering. So when the mind thinks it's connected, you don't go there. When the mind thinks it's disconnected, you don't go there. You're in this, and you see the movements of mind. But the movements don't truly infer or point to a someone that's moving. They produce the feeling of a someone that's moving. 
by the claiming of them. So when a movement occurs, the mental process claims it, and it says, oh, that implies there's a mover. Yeah? So everything is claimed to point that there's a you. Yeah? This isn't denying what's happening. Every, that's, it's happening. But what we're, in a, in a healthy way, is denying that there's any you it's happening to. It's totally different. Yeah? Because a lot of people believe a lot of things have to stop happening for a new uh, sense to occur. No. If, if there's a, a suspicion about who it's happening to, and, and the, 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 uh, quant, the assumption leap is, is sort of stalled or paused, and then you see, oh, it's just happening. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's it. That's the clearest recognition. It's just happening. It's not happening to me, and you're not doing it. It's just happening. Wow, what a fucking freedom. Yeah? Freedom from the bondage of self. The bondage of self isn't something that happened to us. It's an activity of mind. Yeah? It's an activity. It, it's not real, so it has to continue with the activity because it has to provoke a constant appearance. Yeah? that you seem to appear to be fucked, or you seem to appear to be stuck, or you seem to appear to be, you know, bound. But if there's a pause, which there's plenty of, then that whole story gets seen through. Yeah? Yeah. So, if I'm not that, my mind immediately goes to, hey, I can be free of it. I don't have to therapize it, I don't have to win it over. I don't have to socialize it or civilize it and say, now, 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 don't fuck up at this picnic. Just behave. I'll give you all my attention for the next month. Just don't fuck up. You know, none of that. There's no deal broking, brokering deals. You're not that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not that. And then you realize it had all your power by you giving it over to it, really. <laughs> the only way you can play God is to have the juice, God juice. And we are the God juice. It isn't. It has to steal that or claim it and get it, or we seemingly willingly give it over, and then it uses that to play God with. Yeah? yeah. Obviously, when you have those moments where you're clear, something that seemed so real the day before is seen to be unreal. What was it, real or unreal? It was neither. It was what your mind gave it the meaning to, based on the condition or the state of the mind. Yeah? The mind fools itself. Nothing fools the mind. The mind fools itself. Yeah? So. And I'm more enthused by it now than I was before, whatever that was, 24 years ago. AA is a very good foundation, a very good way of life for a free-range mind. It's, it has a very sound approach to living a day at a time and how to, you know, show up and what you need to show up to and all like that. It, it was a way of uh, taking care of a mental disease, which is still part of the body and the brain, yes? It's like if, I, if you were awake, which you are, and your body had diabetes, would you think that once you are awake that you don't need to take the insulin shots? You, that would be crazy. You realize it's not of me, it's the body's got, you know, whatever, needs insulin. 
Yeah, there would be no big thing. But when it's a mental disease, we think that if the mental disease changes, well then, oh, that I don't have to take care of anything because we think we're mental, really. We believe we're of that. We actually, that's a root tenant of self. So we believe that, oh, if I really was free, I'd be free of alcoholism. Because we believe we're from the same realm of alcoholism. We're not. What we are is immune to alcoholism. What, how we're appearing to be and how it travels, how what we are travels here is affected by alcoholism. Yeah? Because it is of the body and of the brain. So it's very unwise, in my view, to think that something that has nothing to do with something else is going to have a huge effect on that something else. I'd be very clear. Yeah? Like I know a lot of people who thought they could t- use this message as, an, as a way of not doing the steps or not to go to AA. And they're drunk mostly. And I've seen a lot of Buddhists who have alcoholism and they're drunk Buddhists. Because, you know, they think they can apply Buddhism to alcoholism. And maybe, maybe not. But AA is a much more sound solution, I find. Yeah. Totally tailored for that aspect of mind called alcoholism. It's like, the, like Jesus supposedly said in the Bible too, you know, you render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. So the disease of alcoholism is from here. It's from the mind and the body. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, a solution. Yeah. Have a way of life that keeps it subdued. Yeah. But you're not of that. You're of that. You, know? you are of the spirit, so to speak. And so why we say it's a spiritual solution in AA, or it's a spiritual program, whatever, is funny because what would be the only antidote to a mental disease, which would be spirit? You couldn't have an antidote to a mental disease from the mental aspect, yeah? That would be like seeking a solution from the problem. So it is a spiritual solution, whatever spirit means to you, because we can't rely on the problem to get out of itself. It just doesn't work. And we can't rely on the body, because the body is just like a vehicle, yeah? So it's either between mind, mind and mind, or self getting out of self, or it's a, they signify somewhere else or something else with spirit, so it's a spiritual solution. So what happens? We realize we're not that idea of mind, and when you realize you're not that, that may be a sense of being of spirit. And that's the fucking solution. Yeah. Now, if you find ways to keep provoking, let's say, a spiritual experience, that's all well and good, but then it's still open to mind playing God with it. You know, because if I stop doing something, oh, I've lost the connection. But let's say, like it says in the book, our daily reprieve from alcoholism is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. What would happen if you if you were a spiritual condition? That you weren't something else first that wants to have a spiritual condition, but you were the spiritual condition. You cut out the middle man and middle woman. That would be fucking incredibly cool in a way. Because then you're established in the solution. You're not still established with one foot in the problem trying to have a spiritual condition as a mental idea, but you're actually in the spiritual condition, as the spiritual condition, that's when it stabilizes, that's when freedom really reigns. So, yeah?
we're just exploring that possibility. And I, I have total faith that it works. You know. Incrementally or completely, but it's not it's unstoppable if the mind entertains it. Because it has soness in it. it has some some oomph in it. Yeah. Like the for me it was like an unspoken yes. I heard it, and to this day it's been the last answer. This was the this was the icing on the cake that AA provided. It was like it was it was the illuminating factor. It was like the the coup de grace. It was like ah, yes, identification is so. And, and then something just a door closed and hasn't opened in a long time. It's like actually been stuccoed over. It was like it never existed. That's a pretty good solution. Because yeah. if it was about managing it, I would my mind would always present itself as the manager, and then I would fuck up. Yeah, it would tell me, no, you did you did something sufficiently to cut you off from that contact, and there would be a belief in that, and then it would act out that fucking wild assumption as if it was so, because that's called playing God. Yeah. But without having anything to do with it, then it can continually to go on. In other words, I'm totally irrelevant about this. I have no say in the matter. <laughs> and that's why it can work constantly. Because I have nothing to do with it. It's beautiful. <laughs> and if you want to remember, the only way you can remember, if you're feeling connected now, the only way you can entertain being disconnected is by memory, by remembering some vague idea that you were disconnected, why not just enjoy the connection? Yeah? And then sooner or later, your mind may allow the connection to become so. Because it will keep playing God or try to, it will. Yeah? But there'll be a point where it crosses a line and something, the, the gig is up. Man, and, and then now something really stabilizes. And then it becomes a really good, a nice platform to express and live, you know. To live a life that's worth living, really. So. Yes. Any questions tonight? No? <laughs> I can say any question tonight. Yes. But I know what comes after that, so. 